Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 70, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean, Bohemian Rhapsody 2. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. And of course, as we talked about last week, the localized title for this episode is Bohemian Ecstatic 2. We've aren't already you, shared our thoughts on that. <laughs> aren't you just ecstatic about that episode title? Oh, boy. <laughs> but uh, we want to take this first opportunity to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Because when this episode goes live, we are probably days away from Christmas. Merry Christmas, Jojo. I don't think there is there a Christmas episode in Jojo. Ooh, I don't know. I'm like running through my head each of the, like each of the parts. I don't think so. I know, but I could yeah, be wrong. yeah. Part two takes place in the winter, but I don't think they ever celebrate Christmas. Or part of part two takes place in the winter. Uh, I, I don't think part three. Maybe part three. I don't know. I'm thinking like maybe part four, since it's the quote unquote slice of life part of JoJo. But no, I don't think so because it's the middle of a warmer season. I'm guessing summer. So yeah, I don't think Christmas and Santa Claus and the holidays um, are JoJo references as of yet. But I do have something JoJo related that should help you get into the festive holiday spirit. Uh, There is a YouTube channel called Piano Goof who a couple years ago did a sort of piano Christmas medley of the JoJo OPs, but only for parts one through four, because that's what was released as of that that time. Um, so I'll go ahead and share that in the Discord for anyone who, you know, if you're gathered around the fireplace on Christmas and you just need to set the mood, you can put this tune on and reflect on just how great JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is during or, the holidays. Or if you're sick of Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You, this could be a great alternative song yeah. to listen to. <laughs> that too. And if you're not a member of our Discord, the link to join is in the description. So yeah, we'll share that over there. Another thing that we would like to share is in the form of our JoJo news for this week. In a news article shared by JoJoNews.com titled JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 9, the Jojo Lands begins in February 2023. Uh, so, yeah, Hirohiko Araki's ninth part of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, the Jojo Lands will start serialization in Ultra Jump on February. Jump? <laughs> Ultra Jump <laughs> on February 17th, 2023. I think Jojolian Part 8 wrapped up August 2021. So it's been quite a while since Araki has picked up his pen again, I would but say. But also like super fast. Yeah. Because that's like what, maybe a year and a half, like just shy of a year and a half. But to go from something as long as part eight, which I heard was very long, very intense. Um, to Ten jump- years, I think it was. Yeah. The entirety of that manga. To jumping right into Jojo lands. I mean, I'm not complaining. As a Jojo fan, that's amazing. But Araki, like, if you need to take some time <laughs> to, like, you know, have a break to to wrap your head around some other things, you know, feel free to do that. Us JoJo fans will be waiting patiently for whenever JoJo Lands releases. Not that, like, I'm going to read the manga, <laughs> so maybe don't include me in that because I'm an <laughs> anime-only person. But that's that's pretty impressive, especially because his art is so intricate. 
so um so detailed and it just continues to get more and more detailed as each of the jojo parts go on so i imagine it's not an easy feat for him to to draw everything that he does for each of his parts plus how old is he now uh, i think he's 60 he's uh 62 immortal so it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) well you know um he is getting up there in age so hopefully a year and a half or so was enough time for him to just take a break from from serialization but yeah part of me is just hoping that you know he he has enough of that time to rest so that he can focus on part nine uh, yeah, let's hope that it's him being eager to put out Jojo Lands because it seems like he's had this idea for part nine for quite some time because um, he announced it like immediately after part eight had wrapped up. Let's hope it's that versus like the publication company or whatever pushing him to put out product faster than he's ready. I think all we know about part nine so far is that the at least Araki wants or is intending for the protagonist to be one of Joseph Joestar's direct descendants. Direct descendants? Now, I heard this bit of news. I saw it on Twitter as well that there's a, they called it a descendant of Joseph Joestar. But knowing what we know, which is very common knowledge for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but if you're worried about manga spoilers anyway, maybe skip ahead a little bit. Knowing what we know as common knowledge that part seven resets the universe or there's a universe reset and then part seven happens is it a descendant of the original universe's joseph or is this Mm. like a new universe joseph that's like a descendant of theirs because you're saying direct descent i'm thinking like we're going back to the old fucking jojo uh universe okay maybe i i jumped the gun Uh, But just going back to this JoJo News article, uh, an expert reads that Araki recently teased in Kono Mystery Ga Sugoi, uh, in a Kono Mystery Ga Sugoi interview, that the story would feature Joseph Joestar's descendants. Um, There is a spoiler that I just read about Jojolian after that. Oh, don't read it. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. Skip the section that says about the JoJo lens if you want to just stay clear of what the story is about even though i just mentioned a a part of the story probably regarding the protagonist or the characters um but yeah just not very much news right now about the story itself just again the fact that jojo lands will begin uh february of next year I did uh, type a note to myself here that when we post the link to this article in the Discord, I'll make sure to include, or we'll make sure to include a warning that this article contains part eight spoilers so people know before clicking the link. But there was that joke going around when Araki did share that the the character or whatever is a descendant of Joseph Joestar. Everyone's like, well, which descendant? Because you've got Holly, you've got Jotaro, you've got Jolene, you've got Josuke. <laughs> Which one? Yeah, maybe like <laughs> Is there another Ill- illegitimate the, child? Maybe he meant like the legitimate descendant. <laughs> so, you know, not him having fun out in Japan or you know, wherever else Joseph was having fun. I am really curious though. I feel like while I don't dive into the manga and I try not to spoil myself, this might be one spoiler that I'm just too eager to know. Um and that's, you know, are, are we when he says a descendant of Joseph Joestar, are we moving back to the original universe 
or are we talking like new universes Joseph Joestar? So I think that might be one one tiny bit of information about part nine that I'll end up trying to to research and avoid other spoilers. But even if I look it up, I won't spoil anybody else. And this is kind of encouraging me to just go ahead and jump into the JoJo manga. Uh, I think I mentioned before that I'd like to start Steel Ball Run uh, since I'm sure we're years away from an adaptation of it. No, you got to believe. David well, <laughs> Production can do it sooner than a million years from now. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess in that period while I'm waiting, might as well just catch up on uh, parts seven through nine. Even though, I'm again, I'm not a manga reader, but I would like to know where the story goes, especially after what happens in Stone Ocean. But yes, we will share this article in our Discord. Again, be warned that it contains part eight spoilers, so just read at your own risk. So let's dive into Bohemian Rhapsody 2, which rounds out the Ungalo arc of the Sons of Dio arc of Stone Ocean. I just want to say right off the bat, it is so nice starting an episode and the very first thing you hear is Umehada's voice. I'm just like, okay, this is great. <laughs> As you all know, he's one, he's my favorite voice actor. He voices Weather Report and Weather Report opens up this episode. I'm just like, oh, it's so nice, especially because part two of Stone Ocean was very, it, it was very lacking in Weather Report content. So we get a lot of that in part three. Yeah, especially in this episode, he definitely gets more screen time as the nearly copyright infringing escapade of Bohemian Rhapsody continues. But I guess with this episode, unlike the straightforward fairy tales and folk stories that have been littered in this arc, I feel like there were certain things in this episode that had a little bit of splaining to do, especially with how Bohemian Rhapsody's abilities actually work and how they affect the world and how this can be countered by the prison posse gang or the prison posse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I find the Bohemian Rhapsody arc to be just like a wild ride. Not that anything isn't a wild ride in Stone Ocean, but as far as like, the enemy stand users that they encounter. This one is just crazy because they never even come face to face with Ngalo. We never even see what the stand looks like. Mm -hmm. um, it must be a fully automatic stand. We don't even really understand how it works. Like there are a lot of gaps in the way that Bohemian Rhapsody works. And I'm sure we'll talk about them. I'm sure we have a lot of questions with this art coming to a conclusion. Um, it's just like, I, I can't imagine being in that situation, like being in the show in that situation. And what's wild to me is that this stand is not just impacting other stand users. It is impacting the entire world of Florida. I'm going to, I'm going to say there's probably a radius of impact. Well, it's not just Florida. Cause if you remember on um, the, the news broadcast, they showed pictures of the Louvre, which is in France. Oh, and, that's true. And the breaking news about Japan. I'm sure we'll talk about this later. So it's happening worldwide. So that this is, is a, a huge range. Yeah, this is a very long distance stand. I don't even know what category you could fit Bohemian Rhapsody in, but it it is a very powerful stand in a way. That is OP as fuck. I don't think we we recognize like how insane that is. And it's all just Ungalo's stand doing its thing. So yeah, that, that is kind of wild that it is impacting 
basically the entire world. I mean, Ungalo could, I don't know, he could pull a weather report and come up with a, an original story that where the character just destroys the world. And then all he has to do is activate a stand and it has to play out that way. It's just kind of crazy to think the potential behind Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, imagine if someone turned into Godzilla and then that just destroyed, <laughs> they destroyed Japan and then the rest <laughs> of the world. But all right, JoJo fans, time to leave this world of pure imagination as we dive down into our synopsis and discussion for part six, episode 26, Bohemian Rhapsody 2. Hisokasui continues his cat and mouse, or should I say Tom and Jerry, chase towards Weather Report and his body, coming to the realization that the enemy's stand, Bohemian Rhapsody, is forcing people the world over to cosplay as their favorite fantasy characters and share in their triumphant or tragic fates. Hisokasui himself anamorphs into a wolf from an obscure Brothers Grimm fairy tale, while Weather Report runs into Van Gogh's self-portrait and is about to live out his last starry, starry night with his newly formed Van Gogh cosplay. Weather determines through his newly acquired Joestar birthmark COD perk that the enemy stand user booked a plane ticket the fuck out of there, revealed as one of Dio's drug-addicted, unfortunate-looking offspring. Thankfully, our puffy-headed protagonist uses his newly acquired artistic skills to create a new fantasy character that snaps everyone back to reality, oh, there goes gravity, and Ungalo lived happily never after. Elsewhere, Jolene makes a pit stop on her parade to punish Poochie Gangier, linking back up with ex-lover Romeo at his extravagant Floridian villa to steal his hedge fund, his helicopter, and once again, his heart. Because how do you spell love? M-O-N-E-Y. And now into our next segment of the show, Zeddy Music and or Fashion Reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. So we just have one fashion reference in this episode. I don't think his name was brought up previously, but we have Ungolo, the son of Dio and the enemy stand user for Bohemian Rhapsody. His name is a reference to Emmanuel Ungaro, a French fashion designer who founded the eponymous Ungaro Fashion House and was known in the 1960s as one of the prominent space-age designers, creating ultra-modern, futuristic clothing of stark simplicity. So I wonder if I'm saying it right. I've always said, since I read the manga, I always said Ungalo. Um, yeah, maybe I should look up like a Google pronunciation <laughs> really quick. Okay, so it turns out I, I just played a Google pronunciation. I think I might be pronouncing it wrong because it's Ungaro. So you emphasize the ga. Okay, so I'm <laughs> I'm on the right track by saying Ungalo. But now the weird thing is I think I don't think Ungalo is a localization. I think that's actually how it's been translated, like even in the manga. I think. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll just go with Ungalo with 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 the L because that's what they've been using in the manga. But I guess the the technical name is Ungaro. Yeah, I need to get Ungalo out of my head because I'm thinking of the word bungalow which is a oh. type of house uh, that's common in the Chicagoland area. So I think I'm using the same emphasis with that word with Ungalo's name. So Ungalo, Ungaro, 
<laughs> All right. Everyone learned a new vocabulary today. <laughs> and now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. We have one, sort of. And I'm going to take it, because it's not often we have one in Stone Ocean. So fuck it. Here we go. When the news report shares that there are, there are more figures being impacted by the stanzability. So not only storybook characters, but also paintings are coming to life. They briefly show, I think what you had mentioned at the Louvre, that the Mona Lisa is gone as well, because you see a picture of the Mona Lisa, but she's just kind of like blanked out the way mm. all the characters are. So of course, the meme around that is all about Yoshikage Kira, that he would be so fucking excited to know that the Mona Lisa is alive if he were still alive, but it didn't make it, you know, with part four. So yeah, he's stuck in hell right yeah, now. Yeah, so he has no idea that the one painting that started it all with his hand obsession is now alive somewhere out there. But that's probably to Mona Lisa's benefit that he is no longer alive. But do you think he would just want her hands? Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> he would probably do her. what he does with all the women or did with all the women and just like, you know, Thanos snap them with a bomb and just make sure that their hands are still left behind, which I think would mean like if he did. OK, let, let's theorize this, right? Let's be let's be Jojo fans and like theorize this. If Kira were to have gotten to Mona Lisa as Bohemian Rhapsody was affecting that painting and he were to incinerate her minus her hands when the standability undoes itself, would just her hands appear back in the painting? Because we do learn at the end of this episode that all of the characters come back except for Pinocchio because Anasui killed Pinocchio. But wouldn't Akira get sucked into the story of Mona Lisa first, thereby he would become Mona Lisa? Yes and no, because I mean, honestly, he was able to see all these characters, but didn't get sucked into any of the stories until the, the goats and the wolf shit. And also he can use Diver Down even when his soul separated from his body, which means Kira can still use, um, oh my God, why am I blanking? Killer Queen. K Killer Queen on Mona Lisa when mm. his soul separated from his body. Yeah, then I would figure just <laughs> her hands would be in the photo. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, man... That, that would be a wild situation. Kira would be so fucking happy to hear that news. But that's the meme that I had for this episode. I've seen it floating around on the, uh, the JoJo subreddits, but I couldn't find a copy of it. So I'm going to do my best to find it. But if not, it's out there somewhere. And I, I'm sure we can all understand what this meme is supposed to be. And as always, if we miss any memes from this episode, please reach out and let us know. So honestly, starts off this episode with a really good question. He's asking why his body won't stay still. And they never really seem to answer that question. And that's a question I think you and I had coming out of the last episode. It's like, why is Anasui's body acting independently of his soul? Is it being controlled by the stand or by one of the storybook characters? And also, why doesn't the stand take the opportunity to kill off the body so as to ensure Anasui's death? instead of just focusing on bringing the soul into the story and killing it that way. I have so many questions. I think you looked up the wiki for Bohemian Rhapsody, didn't you? Yeah, I went on the JoJo fandom wiki, uh, which explains Bohemian Rhapsody's ability of fiction realization. But the only thing that it says in terms of the body is that the soul and the body of the victim now act independently as if the person was split. 
Moreover, the separation is immediate and almost unnoticeable to the victim. So it really, doesn't go beyond that. I think it's just it's just acting on its own accord. But it's weird because it's acting on its own accord, but in a way Anasui would never normally act. It's robbing yeah. that shop. It's running around. It's not staying with Weather Report. So I'm almost like it's got to be something else controlling the body because like why would it make the decisions that it's making? And Anasui does explain later on that like the stand is focused on like it doesn't care about everyone's bodies it cares about dragging the souls into the stories so that they are they have to succumb to the way the stories play out but again there's not much other information given to us about like what happens with your physical body can you fuse back together if you get a hold of your body um how is it acting independently because in a lot of other like a lot of other stories and even i think in jojo's bizarre adventure when there's this concept of a soul leaving a body the body almost becomes just like a, an empty shell. Look at Joltero, mm-hmm. right? Like he, his memories, which you could probably equate to his soul and his stand are removed from his body. So now he's just like an empty shell that's rotting away. But here with this stand, your body can still act and function somewhat normally. It just seems very strange. Maybe it's sort of like the body has an indirect, or the Bohemian Rhapsody has another indirect effect on the body where it's acting sort of like a parasite that's making your actual body do things that people wouldn't normally associate you with just to make it more sinister. Here's my theory. And again, this is purely a theory because Iraqi didn't really explain the stand too much. My theory is that it is one of the storybook characters doing a body swap. They are able to, like once they get you out of your body, then they're your soul out of your body. They're able to assume your your body then, because interestingly, when Weather Report is about to be killed off by Van Gogh, he says to Weather Report, "You know, I'm going to honor your death by living a happy life in your stead." So I'm like, or in your place, like he was just basically saying, like I'm going to live a life that I'm taking from you. So my assumption is that Weather Report's body would then be assumed by the Van Gogh painting. But then who would be in Anasui's body while he's chasing after it? I don't know. Right? Because he killed killed Pinocchio the episode before, and he doesn't get introduced to the wolf in the Seven Goats story until after he meets the shop owner as Prince Charming. My guess is that it's just one of the storybook characters, one of the characters, like whoever can get to the body first. It's It's an empty shell, right? Because earlier... When Anasui first gets separated from his body, his body is like limp. He's got like ragdoll going on left and right. And then suddenly it wakes back up. So again, my theory is that he's limp as like an empty shell of a body until one of the characters that came to life as the stand was activated, then assumes his body and runs around (laughs) stealing things from chocolate shops. Or maybe it's just you know, it's just like an NPC in a video game. They don't have a soul. <laughs> maybe Bohemian Rhapsody just programs them to do random things, like without a character being in them. You know what I mean? It's just it's an NPC. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Honestly, any theory is plausible at this point because we know so little information. If any of you guys have a theory on how the body part of Bohemian Rhapsody works, please reach out and let us know. I'd be curious to know what other people think. So then Anasui is chasing after his body. His body 
fucks up a chocolate shop and then Anasui needs to keep the shop owner happy and from calling the cops so he bribes him and he does it by taking the guy's own cash through the wall when he sends Diver down through the wall and just like gives it right back to him. I thought that was pretty clever. But then I immediately came up with more questions. I'm like, if Weather Report could not see Anasui's soul when it was separated from his body, how the hell is the shopkeeper and the two officers, how are they all able to see him as well? Or see him when Weather Report couldn't see him? Yeah, this is one of those plot holes that I referred to before we started our discussion that doesn't that needs some needs some explaining to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I know later in the episode, the the shop owner is revealed that he has become Prince Charming, and then the cops show up again in sort of fairy tale fantasy character form. So I don't know if at this point those three characters were already affected by Bohemian Rhapsody, and then that's why they could talk to Anasui. But I feel like that was just an oversight by Araki just to heighten the tension of the moment. Yeah, I could see it being like, oh, well, they were already impacted by Bohemian Rhapsody. But one thing I I probably should have listened into more carefully when we rewatch this episode is if the officer's voice, officer's plural, their voices and the shopkeeper's voice were also having that like tunnel sound effect to them. I don't think they were. Otherwise, we would have noticed it. Yeah, because I feel like that would have tipped us off like, ooh, okay, so maybe they're impacted as well. They just don't realize it yet. And then that would explain how they're able to see Anasui in that moment. But I think I, I think you're right. I don't think they did have an effect going for their voice. Because once Weather Report gets separated when he meets Van Gogh, then you hear that, that voice effect um, over his voice signaling that he's been impacted by the stand. So I don't know. There's some, there's some plot holes going on over here. And as these episodes go on, I just keep thinking how more and more OP Diver Down is. I was just like realizing that, yeah, it's really cool that Diver Down can reconstruct Anasui's face to get him out of that like sticky situation. But also he's just like funneling through a wall and like (laughs) grabbing money out of the register. (laughs) What's stopping him from like deconstructing the wall into a doorway so that Anasui can escape any place or break into any place that he wants to? It is just such an OP stand. Thinking about all the potential that you can can use Diver Down for, it's like, it's infinite. Yeah. I mean, from this scene itself, you can see that Diver Down would be effective in robbing a bank and then escaping. Yeah. (laughs) The possibilities are endless for this stand. Like it kind of has the same vibes as Crazy Diamond, but like way more potential than Crazy Diamond because Crazy Diamond could blow through a wall and then fix it right after. But that's about all he can do. Like Diver Down can permanently reconstruct stuff the way it wants to or not permanently construct stuff or undo whatever it did. Like it, it just it can do whatever it wants and either keep it permanent or make it temporary. That's that's a lot of control that Anasui has with the stand. And as Anasui is continuing his pursuit of his body, he then runs into the goats. I don't know the story. Do you know the story? Is it a real folktale? Yes, it is. It's the wolf and the seven young goats. Uh, I was reading a synopsis of it on Wikipedia. I don't think I can condense it for this podcast. But basically, it plays out similarly to like the three little little pigs. 
where it's a wolf that's attacking a certain group of characters and then they have to overcome it. In this case, it's the wolf eating the se six of the seven young goats and then the mother has to come in and chop the goats out of the wolf's body. Uh, and yeah, my question was like, is anyone really that familiar with this story? They could have used the three little pigs, I feel like. But then I was thinking about it. I feel like this would make the most sense because instead of, you know, the wolf getting tired of huffing and puffing like it does in the the three little pigs. Oh, wait, doesn't the wolf end up getting like cooked in an oven in that folktale? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't. Or is it just, okay. I think I in all to... of the original folktales, the wolf ends up dying, like Little Red Riding Hood and stuff. Mm. But this is what's interesting is like, this story, the goats, whatever, and the wolf is really fucked up if you think mm -hmm. about it. And I I remembered like in watching this and, re and reacting that way, like, oh my God, this is so fucked up. I realized a lot of folktales are fucked up. Disney yes. just made them all nice and like easy to digest <laughs> for kids. Like they really like Disney, Disney came in and like cleaned up all of these stories. But if you look at the original folktales, a lot of them are pretty pretty messed up <laughs> yeah and, and so that's why i think this folktale was chosen specifically for anasui because of its morbid ending where the, the wolf basically gets mutilated um but yeah that just reminds me of i think last week we had rewatched the hunchback of notre dame the, <laughs> oh, yeah. the version that disney did that i was reading that disney's version of hunchback ends way more pleasantly than what happens in the actual novel by Victor Hugo. Like Quasimodo does not have a happy ending. Well, he kind of already <laughs> doesn't have a happy ending getting friend zoned immediately I mean, at the end. <laughs> I know you yeah. and I talked at length after we watched that movie because it's, it's your favorite Disney movie. And I always yes. joke about how like it's probably still one of the most like intense disney movies like it's a great movie i really enjoy watching it but i always think i'm i'm like damn this is like much more intense than a lot of the softer movies disney puts out nowadays yeah it's still a really dark movie despite the disney tones to it but i guess i would prefer to be the quasimodo in the disney version rather than the victor hugo version if i were to be affected by bohemian rhapsody stan <laughs> so and this is also when Anasui starts to understand this concept of just like the story. He's able to anticipate what's going to happen to him when he assumes the like wolf character role in this goat story. And since he knows the story, he knows that if things have to play out the way the story does, he's going to die in the end. And that's really when this um, the the threat of Bohemian Rhapsody comes into play. Because before this, we weren't really sure, like, what is the threat here? Now we know that once you are assuming the role of a particular story, whatever character you are, your fate is going to play out exactly the same way as the story, and there is absolutely no avoiding it. So that's now the dilemma that Anasui and Weather Report are faced with. Um, and interestingly, Weather Report runs into Van Gogh, which opens up a whole new door of stories because it tells us that it doesn't have to be a fictional story. It can be a real story as well. Looking back at this episode, having watched the entirety of part three of Stone Ocean, I feel like this was kind of foreshadowing to what Made in Heaven's ability was. Don't you think in the way that 
like you're, you're succumbing to a specific fate. So like, so Made in Heaven, I mean, all fair game because it's it's already happened in the anime. Made in Heaven's whole point was to push the world forward toward the fate of like attaining heaven, right? Well, Is that what you're saying? I was I was reading all this shit about Made in Heaven, like the theories and and what it means online. The way that I looked at it is like the the new universe that is created by Made in Heaven is one where people are conscious of what their fate is going to be, and so th- they're more prepared for what to expect. And I think that's kind of what's happening here with Bohemian Rhapsody, except it's in a more tangible form where it's us relating to a fairy tale or a folk tale and knowing what the ending of that is going to be. Oh, I could see that. I could definitely see that. I could also see it relating to Oingo Boingo and that Oh yeah. That theory. Um, do we want to mention that really quick since it technically <laughs> does fall into the same realm? I think we can save that one because it's a really juicy theory. Okay. Well, yeah, if you, if I guess just to, for anyone who does want a little bit more information, um, if you just think back to the whole horse Boingo, right? Boingo yes. is the younger one. Whole horse Boingo team up episode. And you think about the story that, um, like the comic book that can predict the future. Just go back and rewatch it. And take a look at the way the story ends for Jotaro in Boingo's prediction, and that's a storybook, right? Like you, you could you could say mm-hmm. that's a storybook, and that fate has to play out the way that, uh, you know, the way that the story ends. So anyway, um, yeah, we'll talk in more depth about that because that kind of blew my mind when I read that theory. Before we move on to weather report and Van Gogh's scene. I just wanted to bring up that there aren't any stand stats for this episode as with the previous episode because there is no physical manifestation of Bohemian Rhapsody. Uh, but I did want to go through some of the pop culture references that we see in this episode. I think it starts off with a a person on the street looking up and pointing at Batman on a rooftop, which I assume is in Florida, which is weird. Like, why would Batman just be in Florida? Well, um, we did get a reference to Batman in the last episode as well, I think over the radio. Oh, that's true. Uh, and I think I talked before about how I think it was supposed to be Spider-Man that was referenced in this part in the manga, but Spider-Man doesn't fall under WB's rights. That's under Disney and Marvel. Uh, so they defaulted to Batman, which in my personal opinion is fine. Uh, we saw Snow White and Prince Charming, of course, and then a news report referencing Kenshiro and Rao, which I believe are characters from Fist of the North Star. That's kind of interesting because I feel like Jojo and Fist of the North Star are kind of talked about in tandem. Maybe because it's like about like bulk men fighting each There's other. There's a very bulky similar men. aesthetic for sure. Yes. Uh, later on, we do see Aladdin and Genie, which... That is a very close resemblance to the Disney counterparts. So they are teetering a fine line there. And then Tweety Bird, I think, is also mentioned in a news report. These next couple of scenes are kind of tough because we we jump between Weather Report and Anasui back and forth, back and forth. So I'll just go in chronological order because that's probably what's easiest because that's the way my notes are you know, set up. But I apologize if it's a bit confusing switching between what's going on with Weather Report and then going back to Anasui and then Weather Report again. 
But yes, Weather Report runs into Van Gogh, who says that even without his memory, Weather Report should still be able to recognize him because of how famous his paintings are. And it works. And that sucks Weather Report, um, I guess, into the storybook world. And I just wanted to say, I I really loved the way David Production animated the Van Gogh character. Mm -hmm. I love that they kept the look of the painting, but just added motion. Like every angle that they showed Van Gogh, um, it, it just... it mimicked the painting as it would like if that painting was painted from that angle so i really appreciated that and i thought that was a really cool ad if only they did like a disney-esque version of the fairy tale characters that we've seen but again that's that would be pushing it i know it's kind of weird that like the disney based characters are all done in like oingo boingo style almost but then van gogh looks exactly like his painting so i was like mm, okay maybe there's a little less consistency here but that's okay because i'm guessing it's more like they needed to reference the folk tales the old storybook stories versus like trying to make it blatantly look like disney so then they just went with or rocky went with the oingo boingo style mm-hmm then it jumps over to Anasui really quick, where it confirms the goats are now inside of him now that he's become a wolf version of Anasui. And he's freaking out because the mother goat is coming after him with scissors to cut open his gut to let all of the baby goats out. And I just keep thinking to myself when I'm watching this, why didn't he use Diver Down to extract them out of his body? Mm, like I get he has to succumb to this, the fate of the story, but also he could have just like pushed them out of him with Diver Down. Although we see that anytime he interferes or strays away from the story, things start to turn into like like paper, right? Or like storybook pages, right? Yeah, when he closes that door, it like turns into like a book with pages flipping so that the goat can make it through the doorway. Yeah, so, so there's it, really nothing he can do. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Even if he did try to extract the goats from his body, I'm sure there would be some effect similar that prevents him from doing so. We jump back to Weather Report again, and he starts looking for the stand user because he can sense where Ungalo is at because they both bear the Joestar birthmark. So now Weather Report is able to sense everyone's location, Jolene, Pucci, and the Sons of Dio, and based on this, he's trying to stop Ungalo from getting further away from them, but unfortunately, Ungalo's on a plane, and there's no way Weather Report can stop that without probably crashing the plane and affecting everyone else on the plane, although jumping ahead, ahead a little bit, it's an empty plane with literally just a, another little girl <laughs> on it. Like, that's it. It's Ungalo and a little girl on this plane. How, did, how did this girl book a flight ticket? And why is she sitting right next to him? Yeah. That's so weird. After the quick eye catch happens, even though, again, we don't get any stand stats, we get a, uh, we're kind of pulled out of the chaos that's happening with Weather Report and Anasui and plopped into a quick flashback with Poochie. And all I can say is that sperm are now a JoJo reference because they do mm -hmm. show sperm on screen heading toward an egg. So, yes, JoJo fans, you can rejoice. You can now say that sperm are a JoJo reference. Yeah. I mean, it was a fitting metaphor that he was using or Pucci was using to talk about like to be born is also to be chosen and intertwining that with like why he ended up meeting with the Sons of Dio. It's, it's just a stretch of a metaphor, I suppose. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, this is just addressing Ungalo. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, like Ungalo and what his situation is in all of this. And I think he mentions that with Bohemian Rhapsody, he wants society to fall into chaos and despair. Uh, probably as like a fuck you to how they've treated him. Um, one thing that I wanted to look at with the Sons of Dio is if each of them is kind of a reflection of a piece of Dio's personality. And so I think this is one thing, perhaps, that Ungalo has inherited from Dio is just his... His cynicism. drug addiction. <laughs> I was gonna He's say, a fucking drug addict. <laughs> I was just going to say his... His cynical personality, basically. Yeah, that that makes sense. That makes more sense than his than drug, drug addiction. addiction. <laughs> <laughs> I find the subtitles really funny in this part because whoever wrote them, I don't know if it's verbatim or what, but it says at one point from Poochie's end when he's talking to the Sons of Dio, you shall protect me on my journey or something like that to the land of Cape Canaveral. And I'm like, <laughs> that makes it sound so exotic. For us in the states and what we what we all joke about with Florida, that sounds way too nice. <laughs> the land of Cape Canaveral, I'm like bro, it's, it's like, like twenty a... minutes down the road from where you're at. <laughs> I mean, it's just because it's a it's a world of its own. I Florida it, it, is it, a world of its own. <laughs> and I know we talked about never seeing Bohemian Rhapsody in this episode. I was also thinking we don't hear anyone in this episode and maybe even in the last episode say Ungalo's name I could be wrong Pucci might say his name in the previous episode and he maybe says his name in one of the subsequent Sons of Dio episodes but like in this episode I was waiting for someone to say Ungalo so I could hear the way they pronounce it and I realized no one ever says it so for people who didn't read the manga is it is it kind of difficult to figure out what Ungalo's name is because no one really references his name yeah Although I feel like that's happened multiple times throughout JoJo where we never know the real name of a stand user. But you do get once like Ungalo's quote unquote incapacitated, it does say like Ungalo. Oh, like his, sti- yeah, his statistics. His or status whatever. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that could be the time that people are like, oh, so that was his name. Now that he's gone, <laughs> that's his name. So finally, Anasui and Weather Report reunite because Weather or Anasui falls out of a car or something. It's very. Um, very out there but anyway stand users attract other stand <laughs> there you go users. they're united by gravity <laughs> uh, but when they run into each other this forces weather report back into the van gogh storyline because he falls towards the gun and the second shot is fired at his head and again that's when van gogh says he'll honor weather report's life by living a happy life in his stead but then weather report forces van gogh in his in Weatherport's final moments, to draw a new hero character on the ground and Weatherport creates a story for him where this new hero undoes the stand's destruction and sends everything back to normal because, again, things have to play out exactly like the story. And Weatherport here is dictating how things end through that story, which, once again, makes me think like how OP Bohemian Rhapsody could be if Ungalo just said, make this character that can destroy the world in a heartbeat or like in a snap of his fingers like Thanos. Like that's all he needs to do to destroy anyone or the entire world. That's kind of crazy. Well, I think it's implied that Ungalo is kind of dumb as shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But this thing with Bohemian Rhapsody, or sorry, with Weather Report using Bohemian Rhapsody to create a new hero, it's a really odd caveat to overcome the enemy stands effects but also 
Wouldn't you consider Weather Report straying from the story of Van Gogh by forcing Van Gogh to create an original character? Yes and no, because he's still succumbing to the fate by getting shot with the second bullet, but he can act on his own in between. Like, he can't control what happens to him. He can control what he decides to do. Kind of like how Anasui's been trying to run away from this mother goat, but, mm. like, you know, there's still going to be a way that he... Or, like, him drowning, right? I think the story ends with, like, him drowning or something, and the way they they find a... a the the means that they have to drown him is by like melting his own body into his mouth again kind of a stretch uh, but like mm-hmm. you can't escape fate but on a, even if Anasui is nowhere near a body of water which in this case he's not he's nowhere near a body of water so there has to be a different way that he ends up drowning so i i could see how weather reports able to force van gogh to draw something even if it's not exactly the way van gogh's story plays out okay i can see that it also just makes me imagine if you know, like little kids had their doodles come to life in this episode, because uh, you know, like, or like Doodle Bob from SpongeBob. Or, <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> the destruction that Bikini Bottom would go through there? Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny how you know, it's an original character that just undoes everything, and it's it, it looks so corny and cheesy too. And its name is Putback. Put back. I don't even know if that's a reference to anything. (laughs) Fix the fern back. (laughs) In the last scene of this episode, we have Jolene showing up at Romeo's home. Well, not last scene. There's a post-credits. But last scene of like the core part of the episode, we have Jolene showing up at Romeo's house. He claims that he regrets everything that he did and everything that happened to Jolene. Says he's still in love with her. And I'm thinking like, sorry, Anasui is the only one for her. (laughs) And then um, Romeo is then tasked with giving Jolene money and a car. And he's like, well, I only have a grand on me. And I'm like, well, fuck you. (laughs) You just walk around with a grand in your pocket. Like clearly the kid is filthy rich. Just a gentle reminder that the voice actor for Romeo is Gakuto Kajiwara, who is well known for voicing Asta from Black Clover and Tadano from Komi Can't Communicate, as well as I think he was that rabbit-looking character in Rent-A-Girlfriend. I forget his name. Yeah, I as soon as I heard Romeo talking again, I'm like, that sounds like Tadano from Komi Can't Communicate, and I think that's what prompted us to look it up. But the the thing I took from this scene between Jolene and Romeo is just thinking about how much more mature Jolene is now compared to the first time that she met Romeo. And I rewatched that episode from part one where it's the flashback where they're driving together. Um, back then, she was very naive, very sort of ditzy and like very much taken advantage of kind of like flirtatious in the way that she was like immature and flirtatious the way she was talking to him Mm -hmm. but then now it's here like she's the one who has the upper hand in in taming romeo and like bending him to to her will another thing is that like jolene previously didn't have a lot of like the the jojo facial lines in her flashback but now she has even more facial lines. So it's like, is that another sign of maturity in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure where you just add as many lines to the face as possible? That makes me wonder if they're JoJo facial lines or if they're wrinkles from stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. Um, and then we get the premiere of Jolene's new outfit, which is the, the belt that has like the nine buckle. 
And then she has like this sort of half cape that droops along her bottom. And like orange, um, like an orange band across the mm-hmm. top and, and across the pants as well. But no, I do want to echo what you said about Jolene having a very different interaction with Romeo than in that first episode. It signals all of the growth that like we've been talking about that characters in the show acknowledge and like just everything that she's gone through because the roles are pretty much reversed. Romeo was very cool and confident in their first scene together she again was very immature and like goofy and just like trying to cater to him and now she's the one calling him pitiful because he's like begging her to be with him again begging for her forgiveness and she is just completely calm and collected because she's like this is the least of my worries Mm -hmm. right now what is nice though is that i think romeo also has a little bit of growth in this time because he proves that he was actually telling the truth about not wanting to have any hard feelings with Jolene and wanting to, you know, do right by her when he ends up calling the police to throw them off of Jolene's trail, giving them that false info about Jolene heading toward Mexico. Um, I thought that was really nice, too. I think it's just like a, a nice way to wrap up their very rocky relationship. But then Jolene decides to peel the sticker <laughs> off of his tongue anyway and slap his tongue back to his mouth. And you hear him scream from all the way back at his house. So that is very much a Jolene move to do that in the very end. Yeah, I mean, she or he did cause her to go to jail. So, you know, that little that little thing was her little piece of satisfaction, I guess. Yeah, that's the least that she could do, I guess, um, or that he could allow her to do to get back at him. <laughs> and then we have the post credit scene, which is very short, but it is a soft introduction to Rikiel, the next son of Dio, that we will... I guess, meet in the next episode and start his mini arc. And that's that's that. I don't think he, they say anything about Rikiel. It's just Rikiel begging Pucci to fix his ailments. And he's dressed up like a cow. I love <laughs> Rikiel's outfit. <laughs> I, I know people find really, it weird. Just, yeah. <laughs> it's like a cow print bodysuit with like a neck brace as if his neck's always broken. <laughs> like, what is this design? <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I think it's so funny looking. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk plenty about Rikiel in the next episode. But that leads us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 26, Bohemian Rhapsody 2. So did this episode leave you feeling Billy Goat gruff? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I enjoyed the episode. I enjoyed the Bohemian Rhapsody arc. It was wild. It was crazy. And while there are a lot of plot holes and a lot of unanswered questions about way the, the way the stand works, honestly, sometimes you just don't know. You just aren't privy to that information because not even the Joe bros that are having to deal with the enemy stand user fully understand the way it works. Like we're just going to come across like in every single JoJo part that has stands, we're going to come across a stand or two that just doesn't have the clearest explanation. But as long as you in general understand the way that it works and as long as the Joe bros overcome that enemy stand user, that's really what's important at the end of the day. I also really love this two episode arc, not because of of Angalo and Bohemian Rhapsody, but because we actually get to see Weather Report and Anasui shine. They get the spotlight in this arc. They get to interact for the first time, really, in this entire part because, again, we, we, we've we known that they've known each other, but we haven't seen them interact until this point. And it is really nice to see how decently close they are. Like, they're very comfortable with each other. You can tell that they've, they've known each other for a little while. 
Um, they may not fully trust each other. At least Anasui has his reservations about weather report once the birthmark appears on his shoulder. But overall, like they care about each other. They're very concerned about each other's well-being. They're a team. And it's just really nice to see the boys of the Jobro group team up. Granted, Emporio is also one of the boys, but he's over there with, you know, Jolene and Hermes. What about you? What do you think? I thought this was a good wrap up to the Bohemian Rhapsody arc, especially with Weather Report back in the spotlight to take the W in concluding this fucked up fairy tale. As much as I feel like his trump card in creating a new character may have been a bit of a stretch, along with the other sort of plot holes or loopholes that we discussed about Bohemian Rhapsody and its abilities. Um, just to comment on, you know, Anasui's transformation. This is just a personal preference, but I think it would have been more satisfying if he were a wolf from one of the plenty of other more familiar fairy tale stories involving a canine antagonist. But again, this is just a personal preference because I, I still have no clue what the seven little goats are. And if one of you out there are more familiar with the story, you, you can put in your take. But as I mentioned before, I think I can understand the significance of Bohemian Rhapsody's standability in relation to the theme of fate that is prevalent, not just in JoJo, but even more significant uh, leading into the, fa the finale of Stone Ocean. So I think it was nice that Bohemian Rhapsody kind of unknowingly gave us a taste of what's to come with Poochie's plan. But all that aside, it's it's time to just move on from goats and on to cows, as we saw in the post credits for this episode, with the arrival of Milkmaid Man. So <laughs> finally getting to see Jolene back in the spotlight for part three, as we sh as we see how she deals with this dastardly dairy person dude dastardly <laughs> dairy Dast yeah. dude <laughs> there you go thank you i can't wait for someone to cosplay rekiel i hope it happens and when it does i want to see a picture of that because that outfit is just so awesome to me but yeah look forward to rekiel's art arc in the next episode and once again merry christmas and happy holidays to all of our amazing listeners we appreciate you guys so much we hope that you if you celebrate christmas that you have a wonderful christmas this weekend or whatever holiday you celebrate that you have a wonderful holiday coming up or if it already happened that it was great um either way festivities all around subscribe to strictly jojo on your favorite podcast service join our discord to chat with us follow us on instagram at the strictly series on twitter at strictly series and check out our website thestrictlyseries.com if you'd like to support the show then head over to patreon.com slash the strictly series and tune into strictly anime our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions all links are in the description thank you so much for listening and as always stay safe stay healthy Stay weeb. To be continued.